I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Voth is an actor, singer, and writer, originally from Washington, D.C., now living in New York City. She was last seen on the first national tour of the 10-time Tony Award-winning musical The Band's Visit. She has appeared off-Broadway in the new musical Loveless, Texas, and in The Time Machine at New York Musical Theater Festival. And her other New York credits include The Atlantic Theater Company, Primary Stages, and Boomerang Theater Company. Bly has performed at many regional theaters across the country, including the Paper Mill Playhouse, Algonquit Playhouse, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, Ford's Theater, the Studio Theater, Lyric Theater of Oklahoma, and Signature Theater. She wrote and performed in her solo show, No Really, I'm Not Crazy, which had its New York City debut at the Green Room 42. She also wrote the book for a new Cole Porter review called Let's Misbehave, Cole Porter After Dark. And she served as the editorial director of Nasty Women of New York, a photography project melding the world of portrait photography with storytelling, giving a voice to the uniquely diverse women of New York City. Currently, she is working on a country bluegrass EP. Hi, Bly. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so glad to have you on American Theatre Artists Online. I'm so glad you could join our podcast. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I, I, like I just told you, I, I listened to uh, your most recent episode, and I was, I was so excited to be included. So thank you. Thank you. I mean, I wanted to talk to you for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because I'm really fascinated by um, artists and performers who do... Like something else additional. So they perform, you know, not that performing isn't in and of itself a whole full-time job, right? But people that do like write or, you know, direct or do other things. And, and I was really fascinated by all your work in the writing arena, the different types of things you're involved in, your, your, your one-woman show that you wrote, you're writing a, you know, a book for a review, uh, you know, script for a review, your, your, your involvement with Nasty Women of New York, photography project. I don't know. There's just all these interesting things that you do aside from all your amazing experiences performing. <laughs> and I like that. And you're just, you're a unique voice. So I really wanted to talk to you. So first of all, before we dive into all the wonderful stuff you've done in New York, on tour and regionally, I wanted to talk to you a bit about you. 
how are you doing during this whole, you know, it's been a long time of quarantine here and for artists, it's been really hard. So how have you been keeping up during all this? Well, I would, I would say that I'm doing pretty good and I think my liver might disagree, but <laughs> I do feel I like, I feel like I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel at this point. Um, yeah, it's, it has been, um, you know, no surprise to anybody. It's been a, it's been a very difficult, uh, year and change. Um, and it's, you know, I, I have this awesome, um, teacher, acting teacher of mine who always said that, you know, actors' jobs are to think about what we think about things. And I, my, my new response to that is I've had enough time to think about what I think about things. I'm ready to start doing the thing again. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh know? my God, that's so true. Yeah, we've had a long time to think, right? We've had over a year yes. now to sort of simmer or marinate or whatever, um, you know, we, whatever kind of um, metaphor we want to use. But um, so what, so tell me a bit about you in terms of, I know you've worked a lot at a lot of different regional theaters across the country, um, and you've been doing that, you know, the life sort of of a performer um, and of an actor working, you know, in regional theater. But also, when the pandemic hit, you were touring the country, am I right, in the band's visit? I was. Yeah, I was on the uh, national tour of the band's visit. Um, we were in Pittsburgh and, um, you know, it's so, I, I said this a few times to some, you know, people when they've asked this question, it's so funny when you were on tour, if you've ever, um, been on a tour, you really do become sort of this like insular family. And I am embarrassed to say, but I wasn't really quite following the news in terms of, uh, you know, impending global pandemic. And so the beginning of that week in Pittsburgh, uh, we, you know, I started hearing it more and more, and um, a few of the other people on the cast on the tour with me were like, "Why? This is not good. They're going to close our tour." And I was like, "Surely not." Um, <laughs> but on, but I think it was yeah on Thursday, the uh, March twelfth, when Broadway shut down again, I was sort of really dis like delusional is the only word to use. I, I I thought there might be a possibility that they would send us home for maybe two or three weeks and we'd reconvene and start back up somewhere else. Um, and we actually were told on Thursday, uh, the 12th, that we were going to finish up the weekend in Pittsburgh with shows. And then we were going to um, be sent home, uh, you know, for two weeks and that we would hear from our company manager and our producers to see what the next move was. Um, and so that's sort of as much as I, you know, that jarring kind of, you know, thing to hear before your Thursday night show. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was standby, so I, I got to hear how um, full out everybody went that night for the show. It really was, I mean, the musicians were already incredible and the, the performers and everybody involved was so awesome. Um, but that night was a, a, a good one, you know, a 10 out of 10, I would say. There was no matinee marking. Um, wow. and we, and then Friday, um, they told us around noon that we had a couple of hours to get stuff out of the theater and that they, we would be closed. Um, we would not be finishing up the weekend. Wow. So it was a really, uh, it was a little, it was a jarring experience. Mm-hmm. Um, did you stay in I New had, York? Did you stay in New York? Why did you go back to New York and stay in New York? Cause some people, I have friends who were in tours, friends who were in Broadway right. shows that just went back home. What did you do? Did you stay in Manhattan? Or somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I live. Yeah, I live in New York, and that's where my uh, my husband lives and my dog. And so, I um, actually am not a great driver. Don't tell anybody. Well, I guess they know now. But um, I'm not a great driver. But I, I did have a moment where I was like, "Bly, you got to buck up." I rented a car, and um, a friend of mine uh, with me on tour uh, got in a car with me, and we drove five hours back to Manhattan um, almost as soon as we possibly could because at that point the rumor was also that they were going to close the bridges and the access into mm. the city. So I was panicked that I wasn't going to be able to get back to my family. So, um, it was, a, it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a very jarring 24 hours as it was for a lot of people trying to figure out what their move was. Um, you know, knowing so little about what we were walking into, you know? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it was a crazy time for a lot of different people for a lot of different <laughs> reasons and way and in a lot of different ways. So, uh, thanks for sharing a bit of that. And so, you know, the, did you, did you feel at that moment, you know, did it eventually it sunk in, right? That, okay, it's going to be a longer period of time, <laughs> which is fine. You know, everyone has different, trust me, a lot of people I know were sort yeah. of, you know, not able to cope at the beginning with the whole idea. But um, did, did you turn more inwards? I mean, you know, what did you do? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, like, full disclosure, um, at that point, I had been on the tour for nine months. And I, I think I was getting to, you know, the last three months of my first year contract was, you know, almost up. And I was very much looking forward to, we got a four week sit down in San Francisco. And, yeah. oh my gosh, I had the most extraordinary um, Airbnb. And I was looking, mm. I was so looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And so for me, coming back was, it was a lot of things because I felt this, uh, this complete and utter, lack of closure from mm. the show um as i'm speaking to you i'm realizing i still have all of my show makeup in a bin somewhere outside of uh in our in our storage space and um outside of baltimore so i'm gonna i'm gonna wow. jot down just checking in on that because that's some expensive stuff as yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. wow but um but i also i you know but i also was like very um at first kind of like, oh, this is a blessing. You know, I was kind of feeling this slump of tour life and traveling and kind of feeling the, like, the sort of, like, the the difficult part of that aspect of the business and being on a tour. So I thought, okay, this, I can look at it this way, right? This is a blessing. I get to be home for a couple of months and, mm-hmm. you know, be with my family again and, and kind of, like, really enjoy my apartment. Um, and a very, very, my best friend was um, always slated to move in, in June of 2020. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I get to have these couple of months with Whitney before she leaves and um I was trying to be very positive about it and and actually for the majority of this pandemic I I really not to chew my own horn have felt really um uh positive or at least I I have not um I've not been lost the ability to kind of retain some sort of positivity in regards to um you know the industry being paused and not having my job and not having closure on my job and you know not having a source of income from the thing that I'm most passionate about in the world. Um, but, but it is waning. I have to tell you, I mm-hmm. think that sure. I think, um, in my Pollyanna brain, I, you know, in my, in my mental state, I thought, all right, I got to, I can do this for a year. And, um, now that we're past that, it is, it's, it's actually more difficult for me. Um, now, Right. At the past and it was. Mark. Yeah. I feel yeah. that. I feel the same, you know, yeah. as, as someone who directs and choreographs and, and is on the other mm-hmm. side of the table too. It is. You start thinking about projects, you start going, Okay, when am I gonna get back in that rehearsal room? When am I gonna So yeah, I think we're heading up on, on, on that. So hopefully we'll yeah. both be able to, to, to stretch our creative muscles. So talk to me a bit about, you know, you were in the tour. Let's talk a bit about the band's business. Yeah. So, you know, you were working on that. You worked on that for quite a while, as you explained. Um, how is that experience different doing the tour than when you're working, you know, because you've done a lot of leads and, and supporting work in regional theater. Um, yeah. How was it like, um, and you were standby, you were covering, right? A female... Were you, female the set okay what we were covering which part were you covering were you covering more than one part i was covering all the women wow um, Wow. okay that's a lot yeah the heavy hitter though being um dina because Mm -hmm. she's the the lead female role um Mm -hmm. and does a bulk of the singing and uh, you know is on stage the majority of the show absolutely so that's a lot to carry throughout so how was that different when you were touring um the touring experience for those listening in that that haven't toured you you so you're going uh, city to city um, and in some cities you're there for just two, three, four days. And in others you're there for two, two, three weeks, four weeks. Right. Exactly. And we, I was incredibly lucky. Um, I, you know, I have friends who have done, uh, tours where it's been one nighters and get on the bus and go. Um, I am, I, I was really, really lucky. The band's visit and the team behind the band's visit are just all good eggs, like stand up individuals. Um, and, uh, and I think that they, I, I felt that they very much um, prioritized this feeling of this is a small show and it's an intimate musical. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were taking it to parts of the country where maybe people want, you know, big hullabaloo song dance. That is not this. Um, so they very much prioritized and treated us like a full family. And mm-hmm. uh, in, in one of the ways that I saw that um, exhibited was that we had a lot of sit downs, um, which for people who don't, don't know what that is, um, a sit down is a, a long extended stay in a specific city. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, we were in Toronto for almost six weeks. Wow. Um, and at that point you sort of go, am I Canadian? Like, do I? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes there was sometimes last year when I wanted to be Canadian. Um, so that must be interesting when you're in a city for a, a prolonged period of time. Does that allow you, is it better? Does that give you more time to kind of sightsee a little bit during the day or are you really just like in bed sleeping because the show's so crazy and you can't do anything but the show 
oh no, I mean, that's you're exactly right, Seth. And it's like the longer we get to sit in a city, the more I get to enjoy and experience that city. Right. Um, and because our tour and everybody who who produced it and the, the team was just so kind to us and treated us so kindly, we had so many options and opportunities to do that across the country. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we might. Um, you know, this is like a a joke of mine, but it's like I always thought that I wouldn't like Texas just because you know I grew up on the East Coast <laughs> and I you know I you know the whole Texas thing of like uh, you know leave us alone we're doing it our way I, I sort of didn't really understand until I got to spend a month in Texas and I was like I kind of get it. Where were you and in Texas? I'm just curious. We did uh, three weeks in Dallas, a week in Houston. Um, and so yeah, a full month, and then wow. um, we took a bunch of our um, our we had a lot of golden days, which for mm-hmm. people who don't know are Mondays off without any you know need to rush and hustle and travel to the next place. Um, we we took a lot of golden days and went to Austin. So mm-hmm. um, I walked away from my time in in Texas uh, having more of an understanding of uh, their need to, their their desire to be left alone because when you're <laughs> driving out there. You're like, oh, a lot of land. Yeah, yeah. there's well, a lot of land out it's, here. I share, I share your experience. Full disclosure, my boyfriend's from San Antonio, Texas. So, so I, I was, yeah. I had never gone to Texas until I met him. And then when I got to Texas, I, I had the same experience. I thought, as same as you. Oh, I'm not going to like this Texas. I don't know. Oh my god, I love it. It's great, right? So I love it too. yeah, if you get beautiful. a chance to go to San Antonio, definitely do. It's beautiful. It's just an hour outside of Austin, so it's this good. Oh, I totally. Oh, lovely, yeah, lovely place. Back. But Austin's great too. So awesome. So you get this like full, full immersion experience, right? For each of these cities that you're in, where you're more than three or four weeks, right? Because you really get the exactly. full. That's nice. And, um, so it sounds heavenly. Our, oh, it was incredible. And like our, um, our, our, our orchestra, our band, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, was in, in just some of the most incredible musicians playing, you know, non-traditional, um, you know, uh, musical instruments for a musical, right? Like an oud, um, you know, yeah. and so like those sorts of things, uh, when you have this like, you know, amazing score by um, uh, David Yazbek, you get this like, you know, you get these incredible musicians who were musicians first, you know, like a capital M, not, not exclusively like, you know, pit musicians. So we mm-hmm. got to, when we got to do these sit downs, our band would play these like after show gigs oh, wow. as a separate. And so we got to just, Go you know, I, I saw all these cool music venues and met mm. all these awesome other musicians all around the country. And, wow. um, yeah, it was, that was, that was actually one of the most, um, I think unique experiences when I hear other people speak about touring is that our show very much had um, facets of it, uh, or rather aspects of it, that made it so unique, you know, to yeah. other experiences. And also, before. you're touring with a, you know, very well-known, and maybe though people don't know what the show's about, but they knew the name. It's a 10-time Tony Award-winning uh, musical, so it's like big, big time, right? So you're touring with, a, and then like you said, the expectations are such, too, and that's tough to, to meet, too, when people have expectations. It's a tough show, right? Because people, like you said, have expectations of a musical, and then it's really a unique bird. It is really a, yes. uh, not, um, and you know, you've done a few of these. I'm thinking of, you know, I'm, I'm pivoting a bit here to your work in regional theater, but yeah. I know that you did, you played um, the lead in, in Bright Star, right? And and also yeah. you played Dean, is it Diana or Dina? I always get it wrong. A Million Dollar Quartet. Um, Diane. Diane, that's it. Yeah. A Million Dollar Quartet, the sole female uh, character in, in an all-men uh, <laughs> musical. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean, those are unique pieces, too, because neither of those musicals really, I think, in my mind, fit sort of the traditional musical um, either. So talk to me a bit about the difference. So, like, let's talk a bit about um, uh, the role in Band's Visit, what you bring to that, how you interpret it differently than the lead role uh, than you do in, 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 in uh, than how someone else might. How, what, do you, what do you think you bring to that role when you perform? That's a really good question. Um, I like complete honest moment right now um mm-hmm. because I, I think I, I have to be and I think a lot of people would agree I'm not a great um swing to be clear <laughs> okay not. well it's a it's a really specific skill it's really hard to do I've had Jared Bradshaw and uh his, his wife um Lindsay Northern on here too who are uh Jared's been like a swing for Jersey Boys and has done like every character in Jersey Boys right uh so that takes a special brain it does, and I, and you know, complete honesty, I it's really struggled at the beginning, sure. um, because for me, uh, it was a it was a muscle that I had never exercised. I have only been a swing once before um, when uh, the lovely Matt Gardner uh, hired me 
to understudy Reefer Madness at Studio Theater um, (laughs) in D.C. So Mm. that was the one time before I had ever done it, um, and that was also when I was 18. So it's been a while, and uh, I really had to exercise that muscle and and sort of train myself because it is an incredibly difficult job. Um, The people who do it well, I salute Mm -hmm. um, because... Yet, to your point, like it's you, your brain has to be able to retain so much information um, and then be able to turn on at a moment's notice. Um, and that is not something that I had naturally the skill for. And so I worked very hard. Um, the, our, our dialect coach on, on the show is this brilliant woman named Zohar. And, you know, it's it, a lot of accents in the band's visit. Um, mm-hmm. The women all have Israeli accents. Um, mm-hmm. But, and speak, and, you know, some of the uh, text is the script is in Hebrew mm-hmm. um, and so Zohar at one point where I was very frustrated she I'll never forget she said why you you were raised Irish Catholic you you don't know anyone from Israel right. it's gonna take a while <laughs> yeah you can it's not just something it's in your DNA you have to really right. work you have to really act right yeah it's, it's a exactly. lot of work there was a lot of preparation and work and um, but one thing to your original question one thing that I was very proud of myself and what I think I brought um, to that role um, is I just because because I'm not um, naturally uh, a brilliant standby and swing. Um, I think what I got to kind of hold on to was um, j- just um, like a unique uh, perspective mm. and take, um, especially I think musically um, on the music. I, I just I think the whole score by uh, like I said by Yasbek is just it's brilliant. Um, but what is but what I got to do is as somebody who I have a lot of um, interest in um, specific styles of music and so um, you know I, I listened to a lot of for example like Edith Piaf when mm. I was learning the music for the band visit because that was a sound and a quality of tone that like I could click into and then kind of implement within my own voice into singing Dina. And so that's something that I am very proud of is I think I, I brought, um, and I, re- I retained my own like musicianship and the integrity of my sound. And I just sort of added it on to the music that was there. That's um, great. That's really interesting yeah. to hear because I think a lot of performers, especially, I think uh, I've been, I've talked to a lot of different people who have originated roles in shows and also people who have taken on, you know, stepped into someone else's shoes who originated the role right after. That's a lot of, that second one is hard because originating the role has its own things, right? Responsibility. But when you are stepping into someone else's shoes, you don't, you're not, especially as a standby, you're not allowed to go crazy and make it totally different. But at the same time, you want to add your own personal and so hearing you about this thing about Edith Piaf, that's interesting. It's funny you say that because when I listen to the music, the band's visit, I have not, full disclosure, seen the show. I wasn't lucky yeah. enough to get a ticket. But um, I did um, hear the, the the cast recording. I am sort of, there is sort of a a, a, a bit of an Edith Piaf quality in the singing there. So I think that's there smart. Is. Yeah. And um, if you know uh, Michelle Legrand, too, mm-hmm. there is that kind of sound. Michelle Absolutely. Legrand, a, yes. a French, French composer. Yeah, incredibly brilliant mm-hmm. musician and composer yes. too and um, there's a lot of that sound in right. the show because I, I mean I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not just like making a huge lie so if I am no it doesn't sound no no <laughs> not at all I listen these are impressions and music is not yeah. math right I mean there's some math exactly. to music but music isn't like two plus two equals four all the time so um, in terms of the feeling and the quality so I think no I just think it's interesting how different people have to interpret things through their own lenses right and so you have to find your way to, to, to develop that character for you. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a traditional, um, I love musicals and I am a hundred percent a musical theater geek, um, and theater nerd in my heart. But I've not, like to what you said earlier, I've never, I have not been in a lot of, uh, quote unquote, like traditional big, Yes. Let's shows. let's let's talk about that because that's what I yeah. find fascinating, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Because um, I was talking to Betty Buckley earlier in the in the in the season. Luckily for me, and, um, yeah. and, and part of what I part of what I heard, understood from her is that you know she's not your traditional Broadway diva. She is her own kind of Texas gal who likes horses and likes to sing uh, country western, but also likes to sing Broadway. I mean, she grew up with Broadway in her house, but you know. So I mean, this is part of what I'm saying. I like about you too is that there is sort of with these other roles bright star million dollar quartet these are you're not singing traditional broadway music in either of these shows you're singing 
you know, banjo kind of music, yeah. you know, country music and Bright Star, and then you're singing, or folk, I guess, and then the Million Dollar Quartet, you're singing some some good old-fashioned, you know, rock and roll. Rockabilly. Right, rockabilly. Sure. I mean, yeah. it is, um, you know, I always, I attribute this to uh, my dad. I grew up in a house where we always had music on. Um, uh -huh. He plays guitar and trumpet um and you know both of my brothers play guitar and are like brilliant musicians in their own right and um we we just we were always listening to music i mean i i i joke but it's like i have um I have like a, like the entire this specific uh, Dinah Washington album from the fifties called In the Land of Hi-Fi like memorized. Huh. Um, it very much affected everything about the way I sing and the music that I listen to. And, um, wow. and then, to, yeah, my dad's from Kansas, and so there was um, uh, you know he, he, he we listened to a ton of bluegrass and mm. like really just uh, like kind of like old school um, country. There was this there was this NPR program on that came on on Sunday afternoons right after church mm -hmm. called Stained Glass Bluegrass and we listened to that mm. every Sunday. Wow. See, so it's um, interesting to hear influences because yeah. that's when you find out a lot about the singers and what gives them it it's what gives them their personality and their tone and their uh, style, right? The range, the artistic yeah. range that you have, and that's why you know these things happen for a reason. These shows call you rather than you know these these shows are you know ca you're casting these shows because the shows are calling you more than the other way around. Um, yeah, I've never been. Yeah, I've never I've never wanted to sound like anybody else. Right. Um, I tried for sure, <laughs> you know, in school. Well, yeah, yeah, but you have your own unique stamp, and that's yeah. I just I was never gonna. I was never um, like I was never going to belt the highest. Um, and so I figured out, uh, thankfully, early enough on, you know, in, mm -hmm. in school and conservatory training, like, okay, I'm not going to be the prototype that perhaps uh, I might look like or mm -hmm. people want me to be because, they, you know, to put in that specific box of your type. Um, so I'm just going to fully embrace the fact that my voice is different and um, informed by a lot of other musicians and I'm just going to find shows that want me instead of me wanting shows. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk a bit about those two shows, Bright Star and Million Dollar Quartet. Yeah. What was your role in both of those and how did they require sort of the different skill? How did you find yourself using and you know different parts of your voice and different parts of your skills and abilities in either of those? I don't, you know, whatever order you want to talk about them, I don't care. Yeah. But, but what do you think? Um, well, Million Dollar Quartet um, was, uh, I mean, it, this sounds so hyperbolic to say, but it 100% saved my life at the moment that I got it. Um, oh. I was in a big rut. I hadn't worked for a year. That was the longest I had gone um, mm -hmm. since since moving to New York and joining the union. Um, mm. And I was really down and out, and I had this awful job babysitting for this horrible woman. <laughs> and the children were always sticky, and I don't oh. even know why, but they were just gross. <laughs> and I, I just, I was really down and out, and I got this uh, appointment to audition for Hunter Foster's production of Million Dollar Quartet at a mm -hmm. Gunquit Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And um, I was 100% late to my audition, and I um, walked in. With my sunglasses still on, that's how um, <laughs> late I was, and, and sort of frazzled. And um, uh, you know, that show is some of the most exciting and fun music I've ever heard on stage mm -hmm. and been part of. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, you know, for those who don't know, it's a it's a musical based off real events uh, on December fourth, nineteen fifty six. Uh, Sam Phillips, who was uh, a big uh, ran Sun Records, mm -hmm. uh, had uh, Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis hanging out and he just switched the recording uh, button on and just recorded this awesome jam session. And um, the musical is a um, fleshed out uh, retelling of that night. Mm -hmm. um, so I played Elvis's girlfriend, Diane, who is actually based off of a real woman um, named Marion Evans. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, she was actually there that night. You see her in a picture um, that was taken. Wow. And um, I got to, you know, for this audition, going back to that, I got to sing uh, uh, Fever, which, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've been a huge Peggy Lee fan forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew exactly how I wanted to sing it in the audition, and I knew exactly what my take was going to be. And I I took advice from uh, a, a teacher of mine, <laughs> Jane Pesci Townsend, and I parked and barked. Right, are and you I, a student of Jane Pesci Townsend? Wow, that's amazing how many people I talk to are, are students of Jane. I mean, she really 
influenced a whole generation. She also changed my life. She was really hard on me, and I deserved it because I thought my shit didn't stink, and it did. And she helped me learn that. <laughs> and this was at this was at Catholic at Catholic University. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. I was um, wondering where you'd gone to school. That's fantastic. So sorry. Go ahead and continue. So so Jane said okay, park so then, and bark, and you parked and bark. Yeah, she said. You know, she, you know, one of one of the best things that I got from uh, working with Jane and going to Catholic for a time was. Um, like just a proper understanding that uh, as long as I know what I'm singing about and as long as I have a point of view and as long as I'm prepared, I don't need to do any extra shit because somebody will want me standing still and singing mm-hmm. and there doesn't need to be any um, excessive uh, you know, nonsense added to that. No, no musical theater trickery. Just sing the song and sing it the best. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I did and um, I got the job. I got to then uh, I think it was about two weeks later we went I went up to um, a gunquit and I got to leave those sticky children thank God <laughs> and, um, and and I really um, th- that show very much uh, changed my life um, mm. we were such a hit at a gunquit we like blew all of their um, you know like box office um, you know uh, uh, records and like mm. the most the best selling show of, of you know of all time or they were saying at the time which is great and um yeah, and I and I and I, that that theater is extraordinary, and um, I, I love working at a gunquit. We they brought us back the next year to revive the show and just do it all again. Um, and I subsequently have done like seven or eight regional performances of Hunter's production of Million Dollar Quartet. Wow! Um, so it really did. Um, not only did it like keep me uh, like financially working in you know as an actor for multiple years, but. It, you know, it afforded me the ability to see and work at these amazing, amazing regional theaters, meet um, some terrific people who are doing great theater all over the country. Mm. Um, and, and also, like, you know, not for nothing, the, the boys in that show and, and mm. being able to sing that, it's, it was such a blast. Now, my ears will tell you otherwise. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, how, like, what effect does it have on your hearing long term? We'll, we'll have to find out in 50 years. We will years. find out. <laughs> Yeah, the hearing in my left knee is very angry at me. But uh, other than that, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the things you give up for the for for the wonderful yeah, opportunities the love, experience, the, the love, love of theater. That's fantastic. And what about Bright Stars? So for those listening in, Bright Stars is Steve Martin, Edie Brickell music, right? And so you've got this like banjo led sort of, um, I don't know, what do you call it? Country folk? I don't really know quite. I would, folk pop. Yeah, I would call it. I would call it um like a. Uh, Folk bluegrass is oh, how I would probably describe that um, with that score. I think it is the best, most. I think it is the best uh, new country musical theater musical um, mm-hmm. that's come out in a really long time. Um, I've also done. I did Big River. Right. The second best. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Roger Miller. Yeah, it's hard to beat, but but absolutely the the Roger Miller for 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 Big River and then and Bright Star with Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. So those things are are though as you mentioned, listening to PBS growing up with the, the bluegrass program with your dad, that um that influenced probably and made you understand this oh, music. Uh, huge. I'm I'm a I'm a big time uh, Dolly Parton fan wow. too. Um, mm-hmm. She's definitely an, a muse and an idol of mine and. Um, she has this amazing album called the the grasses uh, the grasses Grass blue. blue great album yeah it is just amazing mm-hmm. and like that whole that that sort of like folk bluegrass mm-hmm. like you know uh, stripping away of some some of her like earlier sound that was a little more like country pop mm-hmm. it just it completely informed uh, the way I sing and also the way that I approached the bright star um, score singing mm-hmm. it um, I played Alice Murphy who is the lead in the show um, and you know there is one song where um, I go from being uh, in my 30s to being 14 years old in the in the in the in, while mm-hmm. singing this song, um, and so uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, a, a, I had a lot of fun doing kind of the uh, musician work mm-hmm. to kind of figure out that sound and how to kind of mm-hmm. go from being one age and what that sounds like to you know 15 years younger while singing and changing on stage. <laughs> Right, no, that one's a that one's a that's one of those shows and that role I've seen that show uh, and that role that's sort of like Ava Perone and Evita. I mean, you literally oh have gosh. maybe one number to go use the bathroom, and the rest it's a roller coaster. You're on all the time. Yes, and it is also uh, not only is it a physical feat to sing, but it is an emotional feat to mm-hmm. sing. Yeah. Um, 
So that was, I learned a lot and I really, I I mean, I would do that show for the rest of my life. It was, I mean, it was, uh, it was incredibly difficult to stay, um, in, in, in like peak vocal, like shape to Mm -hmm. do it. Um, so I guess I would, I would do it for the rest of my life if I could also take like a month off every three months. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You need the time to recuperate. Right. You got to be able to live. But so talk to me a bit about sort of your musical. So you've talked a bit about your musical approach and how you approach these roles, which I think is so smart when you're listening to the music and the influences on you and you're growing up. So you're bringing your own unique stamp to whether it's, you know, Bright Star, you know, having the Dolly Parton bluegrass and bluegrass influence for Bright Star or, you know, what you hear from Peggy Lee and Million Dollar Quartet. I hear you bringing up a lot of references which I think is great because um, that colors and that also allows you to sort of really stretch your range, right? Artistically as well as vocally um, that you're stretching sort of all the different types of things that you can sing. Do you explore some of that in um, the way also that you approach a role from the acting perspective? Do you, how do you collaborate with a director or, or with other creatives to create the show? What means a good collaborative experience for you? That's a great question. Um, I uh, I need one thing from a uh, director personally. I need one thing. I need somebody to um, know that I am an adult woman uh, with ADD, doing the best I can to focus. But sometimes I can't, and I need mm-hmm. people to go as fast as I as I as, I, as my brain goes. So I, I I just need a director who will give me space in rehearsal. Um, to try a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that yeah. is that is definitely a part of uh, what I've been really lucky to have a lot of directors. I mean, Michael Barron of mm-hmm. the Lyric Theater in Oklahoma, where I did Bright Star, is very much, he knows what he's dealing with when he gets me. He knows we're going to be talking a mile a minute, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to try something four or five times, and then I'm going to have to think really quickly about which one felt right, and then we're going to, and then he gets, to, gets the final say, <laughs> but we do that until we figure it out. Um, wow. and, and aside from that, my big, I mean, I'm, I am, I know that a lot of actors uh, and, and musical theater actors, I will say specifically, I have noticed wax poetic about their, you know, process. And I, and I, I sort of, I think that everybody should do what works for them. But for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. Um, my approach has always been really listen, truthfully respond. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I try to do uh, right by the script that I have been given, and I and for me the priority is very much to uh, treat musical theater uh, like it's like it's a proper play. Um, mm-hmm. It is a, a. I have an opinion that a lot of musical theater and musical theater actors have become skill sets, and they don't treat themselves as artists. And I am mm-hmm. very serious about. Uh, moving away from that uh, idea that I, I don't I don't believe myself to be a skill set mm-hmm. and even though there are some people in this industry who uh, it, it seems that is the priority I, I sort of bulk at that idea and I I, mm-hmm. I want people uh, I want to treat myself I should say that I want to treat myself as an artist and so for me that means bringing a level of uh, integrity and respect to musical theater scripts and mm-hmm. uh, just really listening and responding like a real person. Um, and I'm lucky that I have been in a lot of shows. The band's visit is a perfect example where, you know, in a, in a 52 page script, um, which is very short, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in a 52 page, page script, what, what became uh, very important about that was the silence and the moments where nothing was said, but everything was said because we were really listening and truthfully responding and acting like people. So the confines of it being a musical and sort of that fantastical element of, oh, oh, and now they're singing, um, is, it, it just, it, it, it carries so much more, um, truth in my mm-hmm. opinion when when the priority is on just being a real person absolutely you know? i know i couldn't agree with you more i think it's great to hear this from the, and i'm hearing it more and more as time's gone on to be honest from uh people working in musical theater i think musical theater is changing too uh and which is helping and i think that this idea that you know you have to belt a high e or you have to do yeah. you know re- uh what do you have to juggle and while you're playing the instrument and also doing the puppet work 
Uh, he says, like, how much, how much more does the poor actor have to do? You know, and I come from a direct, I used to be an actor, and I come from a directing choreography approach now. You know, directors have to take care of actors. And what you were talking about was great. You know, you, you need an actor, you know, a director to be sort of your coach, your friend, your best friend, your therapist. They need to help yeah. you to kind of get this performance. They're, they're holding your hand during this. And I think that to, to be put as an actor to told, be told, put on a stage, okay, hit that high E. Okay, now go over here and do 50 pirouettes. Now go over here and do, you know, I totally hear you, the skill set, uh, the obsession with the skill set. You know, not to say that people don't need to train and don't need to work on yeah. their instrument and work on their craft. And everyone needs to do that. Everyone needs practice and, and class and, and all that stuff. You should be well trained. But then what? Because uh, th what really distinguishes you from those people is being able to give a full performance that's human, right? And that's uh, what, yeah. yeah. And I think also um, to your point, like part of the practicing is also being a real person yourself. So on your off time, are you obsessively, you know, trying to hit the fifty pirouettes, or are you, you know, carving out space to maybe work on, you know, your 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 physical, you know, dexterity, but then also recognizing that sometimes just reading a book go to an or, art exhibit right exactly. or you know, go Knowing live life well you have nothing to act about that. this is what i've been talking exactly. to i talked about with all my students which is if you if all you are is an actor then you have nothing to act about right so you have to be able to explore the rest of life and do other things you know have a hobby do things that's something that isn't related to theater so that when you do perform you are you know you have that to bring Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I have no, I have little to no space for actors uh, or the style of acting that's like, well, I'm going to do this song, but I'm going to belt it higher, and that's going to mean that it's better. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> exactly. No, no. I've heard you. You know, and a lot of things I've seen of you, and I've done some research before talking to you, and I just know you from from way back when. Uh, I know. <laughs> but is that you know, is the acting, the interpretation, I guess I would think, uh, being a song interpreter, being someone that, you know, okay, if you didn't write the song, then how are you interpreting the song? How are you bringing something to the song that's uniquely you? And if I think about some of the big song interpreters, you mentioned Edith Piaf, um, but, and Peggy Lee or two. I'm thinking Dusty Springfield is one of my favorites. Uh, oh my God. How, you yes. know, they don't write music, but, or Linda Ronstadt, people who sing a song and they know how to interpret a song in a variety of different ways and different languages. And, you know, I mean, I think that's fascinating. So the fact that you're going down that road and approaching it that way to me is, is more than enough. So talking about all these different influences and things in your life, let's talk a bit about your solo show. Cause I know that you wrote a yeah. solo show called which is a great title. No, really, I'm not crazy. Um, uh, how did you put that show together? And I know it, it, it ended up um, uh, premiering a, in New York at the Green Room 42, right? On, on, uh, so tell me a bit about um, your one woman, your solo show, No, Really, I'm Not Crazy. I, yeah, thank you. I am so eager and ready to do it again. Obviously, probably if it's in any time in the near distant uh, future will be a pared down band because I had a big band with oh, me uh, both oh, nice. times I did it. Um, but I wanted to write uh, a solo show that would sh not only showcase me, but um, kind of create an environment and a night in the theater or in a cabaret space that um, spanned multiple different types and styles of music, um, of which, you know, as we've spoken about, very much inform how I approach musical theater. And um, I wanted to play with the idea of the juxtaposition between uh, up-tempo uh, styles of music with, like, um, pretty uh, raw storytelling um, mm. and, and honest kind of, like, stuff. I'm a, I'm a bubbly person, and I speak really fast, and I'm, you know, um, I, my mom thinks I'm funny, but I do, <laughs> I do have, you know, there's that saying, too, it's like sometimes the funniest people are often the saddest, and I mm. wanted to explore that in a solo show, so mm. I'm a, I'm a big, um, I'm a big journal keeper, and mm. I'm a big writer, and, mm -hmm. you know, all my, all my feelings, um, and I, I've been keeping, I've been writing in a journal since I was in second grade. So whatever age mm -hmm. that is. Um, and of course I kept them all because I'm a narcissist mm -hmm. and, uh, I was reading through them and I was like, Oh, 
I have had the same thought about feeling like I have to be on for my whole life. And I wanted to kind of take excerpts from me kind of like writing on that theme and have that be in juxtaposition, like that kind of feeling of like sadness mm-hmm. with juxt- in juxtaposition but to a lot of really up-tempo um, various styles of music. So that is my show. Um, wow. I am... I, you know, I did it at, uh, it debuted in New York at the Green Room, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to do it and debut it in D.C. at um, Signature yes. for their cabaret series that summer, and I, um, I'm i so glad I did, because the, the show really did grow between both um, mm. both of those debuts. Um, and you'd love to do it, it your, what would be your ideal for this show? Like, where would you want it to go? Do you want to do it... Um, at more and more theaters across the country, or would you want to do more of the cabaret venues? What are you looking to do with it? In a dream world, I yeah. would be able to do the show again this summer as a resident somewhere in New York, in a uh-huh. New York space. Okay, well, let's um, put that out there. It is going to happen. Let's put it out there. Anyone listening, any producers listening in, or anyone <laughs> who wants to, I have a few, uh, listening in, please, uh, you know, get Bly into your theater for, uh, it's a perfect time for something like this because, you know, big shows are harder to put up now with, with COVID restrictions, and a, a one-person, uh, you know, a, a solo show is a little bit easier to manage. And produce for now. It's a good transition. I, I, I feel like I might um, butcher her name, but there's this amazing cabaret artist and musician in New York named uh, Gabrielle Stravelius, I think is her last name. Mm-hmm. She can sing a damn song. I am obsessed mm. with her voice. I am obsessed with the, um, uh, like just her, t- her take and her like original take on so mm. much music that you think you've heard too much that wow. she sings it and you're like, oh my God. Um, and she has that kind of vibe in New York as like a, as a resident cabaret artist. And I just so admire her and I would, I would love to do something like that with my show. Well, you, you know, need to, uh, you need to reach out to her in your free time and, and ask her how she did it and what she did, because <laughs> that's what you need to build up if that's what you're I looking know, you're for. Right. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, Bly, we're almost out of time. This flew by because, um, uh, you're just so exciting to talk to and don't ever lose that energy and excitement because that's um, often I'm the same and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Let's, you know, we didn't touch on a lot of other things, but I'll just list them out here. You know, you also wrote the dialogue or actually the book, the connective tissue, I guess, for a Cole Porter review called Let's Misbehave, Cole Porter After Dark that the American Pops Orchestra did at Arena. I know that stage. Uh, you were the editorial director of Nasty Women of New York, a photography project with uh, melding the world of portrait photography with storytelling, giving a voice to the uniquely diverse women of New York City. That sounds fascinating. I want to talk about all these things, but we don't have time. And now currently, just before we wrap up, it, um, you're, you're working on a country bluegrass album or EP? I am, yeah. That's, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. So what, what, where do you think, have you already laid some tracks or you're putting it together? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So it when do you a... hope to let it out or release it or drop uh, it or whatever people call it? <laughs> I know, right? Seven, that is a great question. I also would like to know when it is coming out. Um, <laughs> I am a, I'm learning. I am a, um, I'm kind of a, I can swear, right? I can swear. You can once. swear anywhere you want on American Theater Artists. Okay, I'm an asshole when it comes to recording my own music. This is what I have learned. That's good. I am, a, I am, I am specific You're picky. about every single measure to the point that it will slow down a process. Well, you sound like, you sound like Dusty Springfield already. You know, I learned, um, I was speaking to uh, one of the producers for my EP just the other day and getting back into recording, and I, 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 please, I, I, this is totally something that you should absolutely laugh at because I come up with ideas for lyrics and songs, and then, of course, I record them um, on my phone, and um, I was playing him one the other day, which is a uh, working title. It's called I Ain't Taking Nobody's Shit. Um, so it. it's a, It's going to be a fun song yes. when and if it gets done. But um, he made a really good point, and he, he kind of called me out, which I needed to do. And he goes, "Now, Bly, you know, you slow down this process. It takes you forever to like something that you've recorded and that we've mixed. So, can for the love of God, can we this time not have you do the backup vocals because you're just so over it by the time we have to do them?" And I'm like, "That's a good point. Thank you, Donnie. Wow. I will get somebody else to do my backup." Right, because if you have to lay the va- the backup tracks, then you're there for like five years doing all that. And at that point, <laughs> honestly, at that point, my my 
my attention span is so Done. short and my fuse is so right. long that it just sounds right. like shit. So well, I might as well just hire somebody. <laughs> uh, I, I, it sounds exciting and let us know when the album's coming out. Yeah. So that leads me to the next thing since we've got to go. Um, where can people find out or keep up to date on what you're doing and what the next thing is? Do you have social media, website? Where can people yeah. follow you? Give it, Put it all out there for us. You can uh, check out check out my website, www.blyvote.com, um, for exciting new things that are coming up. Um, this is also a reminder to me to update my website. Um, I, you can also follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Bly Adeline. Um, I am at tw- on Twitter at Bly A. Both. Um, I am no longer on Facebook as a gift to everyone else because I was just getting in fights with everybody and their mother. And so we're not on Facebook anymore, but it's okay because there are multiple other places to figure out what's going on in my life. Absolutely. Um, so and Instagram and your website are probably the best to kind of keep best latest. Yeah. And then people can watch also, videos and, and listen to music yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I also am I'm, pr- I'm, I'm very proud of my website. My, my new agent the other day said that even before they signed me, um, and really had only met me once years ago, they had been sending out my website to their own clients saying, make a funny website like this woman's. And I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful, so it's a beautiful <laughs> site. It really is. And is it just, and you say, say the site address again? www.blyvoth.com. I also, fun uh, little side note, I also, as a side hustle, are designing and consulting people on their own websites as actors because I realized um, actor websites can uh, be pretty oh, assholey and absolutely. I wanted them to be better. So Good. Well, people <laughs> people can come to you for that as well. well. Bly, thank you so much for being on American Theater Artists Online. It's been such a joy talking to you and there's so much more um, and, and I'm sure we'll find another opportunity to bring you back on so we can chat more because there's stuff we didn't That'd talk about. Okay. And, and um, Stephen, thank you so much for casting me as a as a high school senior going into a freshman year of college in um, Into the Woods <laughs> well, at the Well, I remember that. that. Yes, a well. Yes, well, you were fantastic in that. And it's funny, um, Joanna Henry, who was the director, and I have talked a lot about that production, about how many of those people that were in that production ended up doing really well and having professional careers in New York and elsewhere. Uh, Jake Odmark and Jesse Swenson being the other two that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, thank you so much, Blyvo. Thank you uh, uh, for being on American Theatre Artists Online. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.